1: Welcome back to Transparency, everyone. This episode is a little different in that it started as an informal conversation between myself, Erin Kimberly, my co-host Aaron Terrell, and our friend Jamie Reed from the LGBT Courage Coalition. We weren't entirely sure it would become a podcast episode, so it might be a little more disorganized than even we are known for. In this recording, we're discussing a document that some refer to as the Denton Report, which was a joint project in 2019 by the Denton's law firm, Thompson Routers Foundation, which is a media organization, and IGLIO to analyze trans activism in Europe and make recommendations that would advance trans activism elsewhere. As such, it outlines key mandates and strategies, including the focus on children and forced teaming with other issues. We've provided a link to this document in the liner notes. And with that, here's our conversation. Hello. Hi,
2: Erin.
1: How are you doing? Hey, guys. Hey, Aaron.
2: other Aaron. Here you are. Hi, Aaron. Hello.
1: Um, so I have hit I have hit record. i I don't know it. I think we can just have a conversation and then decide if we want to turn this into a podcast or if we just want to turn it into a a planning session to discuss the document for for when we do do a podcast. But I mean, how are you guys feeling at this point? Do you feel like you're familiar enough with the document? to do a podcast or do you want to just talk and see what happens
0: i feel i feel like uh, familiar with it um enough to talk about my my question is i'm is so so i feel like i have a better grasp of the context of it um but but yeah what i don't see is how it's applicable to the us or canada and that's kind of the you know the lgbtccs um Focus. I mean, it's like I said in the chat, it's fascinating just how, how insanely brazen some of the things that they actually published in this report are, um, especially for a European audience, it's incredibly brazen, um, and a lot of it's just kind of fascinating, and I'm wondering if it has had any influence. In Europe, it doesn't seem to be, because it seems like you know, shortly thereafter, they've just been rolling back this shit over there, um, whereas it's, you know, full steam ahead here, but this isn't like a document that's talking to any American organizations.
1: I think we see evidence of similar strategies being employed, employed here, though. I mean, you're right that there, there are case studies and an analysis of what certain European countries have done, but I think if you pull out the key points of what's been effective strategy in you, in Europe i think we do see evidence of those same strategies being used here in Canada and the US would you agree with that or or do you or do you think that there's very different strategies happening in North America
0: well i think I, so i think how, it, how primarily where how we are in the situation we're in is that we have people we have these activists um the kind of people who would be writing a document like this just in our governmental institutions rolling this stuff out unilaterally there's not there's not any convincing that has to happen it's like they just get into positions of influence and power and achieve these same ends without having to do any of the um um yeah of, of the convincing of the, uh, any of the campaigning and and here we're so 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 Europe's very different in that they aren't nearly as partisan um this is a, like like lenno was saying they 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 aren't nearly as partisan so individuals there are going to be looking at the issues on a detailed basis because they're actually interested in the intricacies but in north america the public doesn't really operate. It's like if it's a red stamp or a blue stamp, you know, I just look for the red stamp or the blue stamp, and that's what I'm going to support, right? And so here, it's like all things trans have just been painted with a blue stamp, and therefore it's like, okay, full steam ahead, guys. You know, it's it's just they aren't so partisan and team-driven over there. Is is um, is, is another reason why I'm not sure. it Like it doesn't yeah it's it's an incredible document, and just again, and how uh, how they just straight up wrote that stuff. um but but it's it's just stuff that goes on behind closed doors um, in this country is how I
2: see it. Well, I have a question for you, Aaron, a Canadian question. Mm-hmm. So this document is talking about these individualized countries that sounds like they set policy by country. For most of these things, where in the United States, so I wrote out a list, so in the U.S., birth certificates, name-changing, and gender markers are state-run processes. Only the passport and registering for the draft are a federal-level determination for identification for a lot of what this documents talking about. So I think we're again in another situation just like the medical legislation where each state can make its own rules. And is that how Canada operates?
1: Yeah, Canada largely okay, operates but your like province
2: that. Provinces, not states. That's right.
1: Yeah, so you're right, our, so our passports would be federal, but um, a name change, I think a name change would be provincial, healthcare is, is governed provincially. So yeah, most of the thing, you know, marriage, mar- marriage is a tricky one in Canada because marriages are done, no, that's done provincially too, they're done by different courts, but it's still provincial. So, it's when I
2: read through this document, part of what I was so part of what I'm wondering though is is part of the strategy with this document is they're looking at these eight different countries and they're pushing forward this generalized concept, knowing that they could move these concepts in some of these whole European countries. And then, is it the concept that we can get like a global consensus that just kind of that just steamrolls internationally? Because those countries can change way before the U.S. would ever change anything like this on a on a federal level.
1: That's my understanding of the purpose of the document. Is it's, it's doing an analysis of the countries they think are most progressive and doing an analysis of how they achieved that and pulling out certain key points and strategies for how they were able to achieve what they achieved so that other countries can utilize those same strategies. And I do think NGOs here in North America, like GLAD, for example, are trying to employ many of those same strategies. And, you know, they function as an NGO, like the ones mentioned here in, uh, in the document, they I mean, I feel like throughout this document and all of the countries mentioned that the non-political sort of nonprofit organizations, advocacy organizations were the ones really driving a lot of the change. So I think to your point, Aaron, there probably are a lot of backroom conversations that, that the public's not aware of. Or, you know, Chase Strangio is probably in government officials' offices on a regular basis driving home a lot of this stuff, and we're just not seeing those conversations publicly.
2: As a parent, this document terrified me. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying.
0: It's creepy as all hell, that's for sure.
2: Uh, I mean, I know, Aaron Terrell, did you have some quotes that you we're already
0: thinking about yeah um uh just just like there's a a lot of them just like like these first few um and the what was it the um uh where they're interpreting the convention on the rights of the child and the international convention of civil and political rights that whole section there in the beginning where it's like basically just taking just like Misinterpreting things—I don't know. It's like everything is just interpreted to be like exact. I don't know. I I don't even know how to articulate um, what what I'm saying here, but it's like. Uh, Okay. The best interest for for best interests. (laughs) The principle of best interests and right to be heard. The interests or the best interests of the child should be a primary consideration in legal procedures, and the child's view should be given proper weight, taking into account their individual maturity and development. A child's best interests must must include respect for the child's right to express their views freely and do weight give it. like.
2: Certain ages. Oh, so uh, we should just let kids vote
0: then. It's, it's basically, yeah, so much of this is just about giving, yeah. it, it, it's written, like, so a lot of what I took away from the Trans Health Summit was, like, they, they frame any sort of gu- guide rail as discrimination. That's what this is. It's basically saying, it, it's all framed in this way that, like, having age restrictions is discriminating against someone on the basis of their age. Like child protection is discriminating against the child on the basis of their age. It's creepy as fuck is my, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Sorry. What are you going to say, Jamie?
2: Well, it's creepy, but it also has, this document to me screams weirdly privileged ivory tower nonsense garble. Mm. So the reason is so one of the things that says that they should they propose taking actions against parents who are obstructing the free development of a young trans person's identity and refusing to give parental or authorization when required.
0: And the state should be able to interfere so, in those situations.
2: Right. So the state should be able to interfere when a parent is not providing authorization for a young trans person. I'm assuming they're meaning to medicalize or to legally change name, gender marker, et cetera. Okay, so at least in my state, we actually have children who are being abused and neglected and are being, you know, born drug exposed. There is an actual emergency situation right now for children there are children coming into foster care especially at birth for a while at huge rates because we have a huge fentanyl heroin pandemic going on and this it it just to me is just like are, are they trying to create a problem that doesn't exist is there really a problem that some parents exercise their parental authority to slow down? I, I just, I just, it, it's unfathomable to me.
0: I think it, they're basically think... saying if, if a parent is opposed, if the legal guardian in the situation is opposed to the child's transition, the state basically, like it, it's basically saying there's no parental consent required. E- like either the parent goes along with it or the child is going to be basically state.
2: but The state can't even take care of the number of like, it is actually so incredibly difficult. Like it takes so much to actually have a child brought into foster care. Like people get so nervous. So I'm going to hotline somebody and they think that their individual hotline is going to bring some kid into care. It does not happen like that. Kids don't come into care until they're like, at the most dire situation, so who are the authors here thinking that there's some state with the resources to start intervening legally with all of these parents? It's absurd. That's not
0: well. Remember, we this is this is Europe. They do not have the same kind. They they are the the social the social um, social welfare is much higher there. Than it is here. In a lot of cases, they're, you know, less, less. I mean, there's still obviously issues of kids being born drug addicted, kids being, you know, abused uh, in in homes. Certainly, that happens. But they have much more uh, actual um, financial capital at the state level. Uh, so they're creating, be, you know, so like they're... a nanny state yeah. kind of
2: yeah. deal. So that they're they, creating they more... a problem.
1: Yeah, right. yeah. Here in Canada, there have been cases I mean, of so CFS. We
2: actually are dealing with problems. They're creating some.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, the yeah whole... in Canada and I know in Australia there have been cases yeah. of children being removed from homes yeah. due to lack been... of uh, uh, going along with transition.
1: Yeah, there have been cases of parents taking their kids to a counselor and the counselor reports the parents to CFS because they're not affirming. But there's, you know, there's two basic there's some really basic assumptions being made by this whole document. One is that is that there is a, such a thing as a trans child. That's the first assumption they have to make as a premise for this entire document. And, and the second one is that self-ID is like the gold standard of human rights for trans people. Without those two, prep, two pillars, this whole document would fall apart.
2: Right. But there is no line in the self-ID. This is the other thing that befuddles me. So they write, children and teenagers need to be allowed to define themselves however it suits them both in social and legal terms do the authors who i'm assuming the authors are adults realize that children and teenagers will self-identify with nonsense like do they not realize that some people are self-identifying as like fairies and inanimate objects and like is that like do is there no line
0: yeah, they do the like what counts as a gender and what needs to be legally recognized. Yeah,
2: I mean they mention X, so they mention this concept of like a third gender or a gender, you know, a non-binary non whatever gender, but they don't recognize that children inherently will come up with nonsense if allowed.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, just to give a, an example of legislation that that I think was was fought for in a way very similar to what's outlined here in this report. So, our conversion therapy legislation that came into effect last year doesn't say anything about trans or gender dysphoria. Um, it was piggybacked onto um, legislation uh, conversion therapy bans for for gay and lesbians. First of all, I mean, that was one of the strategies outlined in this document too, right? Is he piggyback onto a cause that already has quite a bit yeah. of public support? They used in terms of research, they used research on the harms of conversion therapy for gay and lesbians. To my knowledge, there's no research that exists on so-called conversion therapy for trans people or, or gender dysphoria, but they worded it in such a way that they said it's it's all about gender identity. And there's cisgender identity and everything else. And so it's worded in such a way that it's illegal to change anyone's gender identity to cisgender, which leaves it wide open to every other possible gender identity you can imagine, and then cisgender. So that could, I mean, in theory, I mean, this has yet to be tested in court. But so, I mean, given the number of weird gender identities that have developed now, like frog genders and tree genders and cake genders it would be illegal to tr- to tell a child well you're not actually a frog you're actually a boy or a girl because that would be trying to change someone's gender identity to assist gender gender identity
2: so just a question on that law so a detransitioner do they have any legal recourse to return to their their sex at birth
1: that's not mentioned in this particular law at all. So I think that would be considered like a retransition that now your gender identity has changed. And so now you're transitioning. So let's say you are a natal female, you transition to male and your gender identity now switches. And so you retransit it's basically the exact same process now. Now you're male transitioning to female is, is how they're conceptualizing it in, in law. So it's not really a detransition then, right? It's a total reframing of that experience. It's just a it's a retransition.
2: Okay. Can I ask just can I just be devil's advocate for a minute and ask you both a total out there question? Go for it. Okay. I believe, and I'm I might be incorrect, but I believe that driver's licenses within the United States in the past used to have a race category marked on the driver's license. This would have been years back. Think like 50s, 60s, I think. And that category has been completely removed from driver's licenses as an identifier. Is there a harm if driver's license, passports, the day-to-day identifying documents that people carry, should they continue to have a sex marker on it? And I'm going to use that word intentionally. So a sex marker on those documents. That's a good question. Yeah, what what is, what is the utility of that?
0: Um... As, as long as you've got other, um, you know, other because obviously it's to to confirm that this is the correct person. Right. So as long as it's got other identifying features such as eye color, height, things like that, that you can't really easily alter. In um, a picture of you, obviously, you know, should that suffice? Is that what you're saying? Like, what is the utility? Yeah. Like of? what is
2: the utility of it on those? So I can see the utility on a birth certificate. I can, and I can also understand, here's the thing, I can understand the utility in a few different places. So there's utility in, or at least currently in the United States, we ask uh, people when they turn 18 to register for the draft, if they are natal male. And then we tie student loan, federal student loan money you have to register for the draft in order to get student loan money you can't you can't c- kind of circumnavigate that if you're a natal male and then i also still think we tie your car insurance your life insurance some of these things are still also tied to sex as well so aaron terrell i think you probably pay a higher car insurance premium than i do because Males are considered riskier drivers who make bad decisions, especially when they're teenagers. It's the highest cap, like that's who pays mm-hmm. the highest in car insurance. And then life insurance, I think most men have different health insurance premiums because they have different risks for death and different ages. So there's some utility in those places, but why do we keep it? I just wonder if some of the all of this. Rigmarole, if we just get rid of it on some of these documents, then we don't even have to deal with it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting in the in this document, right? The um, the angle that they're coming from in a lot of the situations is not being not allowing a child to self-ID and get their uh, their documentation updated to reflect the uh, the gender they identify with. It's an invasion of their privacy, is how it's being spelled out. Because then they have to they have to present identification that outs them, and they're saying that is an invasion of privacy, which is a ridiculous uh, twisting of of, of you know, that, but yeah, it's just really funny how they're, how they're phrasing that in the section of, like, <laughs> you know, people have a right to a private life, right to privacy, and you know, not having your gender ID or self-ID yeah. reflected on legal documents is an invasion of that privacy. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, um, it, I does, think, it does potentially out oh, people, right? So let's say my driver's license said female, it, and... Every time I went to a bar and someone looked at it, I would be, I would be outed. Every time I like, there's so many times, so many situations in which people look at ID that they really don't need to know a lot of that information that's on the ID. I mean, I know what some people have thrown around the idea that could be somehow I have an ID. That people have to scan to get information, and depending on who's scanning it, so the you know the a police officer would have oh. access to different information than your local liquor market, your
0: healthcare provider. Yeah,
1: I like that idea. Oh, That's I interesting.
2: Like, I like that. Concept.
0: Yeah, a need to know basis. Like all the yeah. un- all the identifying information's there, but it's presented. Yeah. So based a, ho- a the hospital,
1: need. a hospital, for example, if I was rushed to the emergency room and they scanned my ID and it said female, I mean, the hospital needs to know that. A police officer might need to know that, but yeah, and there's so many situations that we where we flash our ID around that they wouldn't need to know all that information. So that could be one solution.
2: And then I just I, yeah. I wonder. Also, are we really going to be carrying IDs in fifteen years?
0: Just scan the palm of your hand like you do at Whole yeah, Foods. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean,
2: <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't often. I don't carry my wallet all the time because anything I want to purchase, I can just purchase through my phone. My credit cards are all saved everywhere. Is you know, I order ahead of time. I just, I just don't know if. Um, if we're really thinking far enough into the future. Because I do wonder, do we really need to have like a state by state fight over if somebody's gonna add an X in some states? And then you drive across the border into another state and your ID says X. And I just I think that a salute, there are different solutions that and could that, no.
0: Yeah, put that right there. That's the answer, isn't it? Like, if you can have an X on your driver's license, we've already come to the conclusion that the F or the M are irrelevant.
2: Oh, right? yeah, you're absolutely yeah, you're absolutely right because <laughs> the the well, X then... is just n-
0: n- n- neutralizing the answer. It's it's nullifying yeah. the question. So if 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 that question oh. doesn't actually need an answer, then it never needs an answer. But
2: it so there are these. Erin, Kimberly's right. There are these few moments where you need the answer. And I believe that that's healthcare. I do believe that that's health access. So I just keep reiterating this, but I'm going to do this till the cows come home. Uh, There are different diagnoses. There are differential diagnoses that occur based on your sex. We look for different illnesses based on sex. And then also there's different health determinants based on sex. So I think that that's the one place. But then I'm so interested now to know if a police arrests somebody in a state and there's an X on their ID, what is that? What what was lost? Does that mean that they no longer know if they're actually arresting you? Where they're putting you?
1: Hmm. That's a good question.
0: Yeah, I'm curious what the answer to that is.
1: Well, I mean, when they, it's my understanding that when in terms of prison, I mean, when they're doing intake into prison, people can cut self ID. Whatever sex they want as part of the intake process. So I'm not sure it even matters what's on their ID at that true, point. That's
0: true. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. I know if I was ever arrested, I'm gonna tell them that the M on my driver's license is absolutely false. So, <laughs> and why? so I can always why well, because I don't want to be put in a men's jail if I have the option to not, you know? Right.
2: And yeah, and that's for your own safety, right, yeah? right, right, yeah, of course, yeah. I, mean, um, I don't want to go to prison at all, but <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you definitely, definitely
0: already know that the the women's ones the better option.
1: I heard there's already <laughs> a yeah, thought think, crimes unit.
0: that is recognized. What?
1: But there's no. already a... <laughs>
0: no. no. <laughs> well, there isn't the UK, so. uh
2: See, I might be i be the thought crime person that pisses off the turfs and the. I mean I sometimes feel like I piss everyone off because here I am like well maybe we just don't need a, a sex marker and anything at all
0: yeah we, we've been uh, Aaron and I have been uh, in that pissing both off both camps off uh for for <laughs> for quite some time now it's uh it's unavoidable unfortunately um so one thing, so I guess we should probably, um, if we're releasing this, and I think, you know, we may as well, it's a good conversation already, um, what it is we are dissecting here, which is the, the Denton Report, which is a report written um, in collaboration between a European law firm, that's the Denton, and our or I guess Reuters is international, but, um, Thomas Reuters foundation, um, which is, yeah, the, the, the global news outlet. And then a, uh, so those two in, in collaboration with, uh, Iglio, I guess is how you pronounce that acronym, the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, and Intersex Youth and Student Organization, um, a network of 96 national and local lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and intersex youth student organizations across the Council of Europe region. Um, so, so it was put together to advocate for more progressive trans um legislation in, or procedures, let's say, in various European countries. And they do it by kind of analyzing certain countries, um, the way that they're already going about these practices, um, uh, such as Norway, Malta, and Belgium, they single out as uh, the kind of pillars of, of good behavior. And then compare those to Denmark, France, Ireland, Portugal, and the U.K., which they say kind of need improvement. Um, but so then they they analyzed how basically the steps that Norway, Malta, and Belgium like what they're what they did to get to the the kind of trans the pinnacle of trans um, uh, rights that this document's advocating for, um, and then have basically you know what I guess you know just created this document basically giving instruction to other European countries um, and, and theoretically any other country on how to go about implementing these kinds of progressive policies, such as miners being able to go to their DMV or whatever licensing body and say, you know, It says F on my birth certificate, but I identify as male, Um, my parents don't know about this, but I need my identification to reflect that and the licensing body is supposed to say yep, of course, here you go, sir. Um, And that there should not be any age requirement for that. Um, Various other things. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you guys Pick this out, but this is just just really fascinating. Uh, cherry on top of this document is they repeatedly refer to sex reassignment surgery as sterilization in the context of it being required to change your identity documents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and did you notice they always said <laughs> which is just I, um, they always yeah.
1: specified castration. They didn't actually mention any natal females. It, it, they always specified castration.
0: I, I didn't see castration at all. Where,
1: I did a number of friends. places. I only read yeah. like the summer. Of it. Yeah, there were a number of places oh, wow. where they specified okay. what they meant by sterilization was castration. They put that in parentheses in a few places. Oh my.
2: So isn't that <laughs> historical though? So I believe yes. that that was because some of these European countries were the first to do, you know, these in-depth surgeries and one of their requirements before they would change documents was that they were, that the individual was sterilized. And I do I do completely see your point, Erin, is that that was the requirement historically to change documents. And there was opposition to that. But now when we look at children who go through pubertal suppression directly to cross-sex hormones and then to surgery, we know that they're, they're, they're going to be sterilized anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's fascinating
0: is because obviously on the the critical end of this we talk about the sterilization of children mm-hmm. yeah. and the trans activists are vehemently against that language, the language of sterilization. They want to use gender affirming surgeries, right? But in this context, in the context of what they're saying that it's that it that it's bad to be required to have sexual reassignment to be surgery. Sterilized. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what they're calling it sterilization. I mean, it's just
2: it's just so brazen. But <laughs> yeah. I, I mean it's weird because then I agree with them. We should not be sterilizing people. No, I, we yes. should not be sterilizing yes. children. I mean, so it's, but
0: but they're but they're talking about sex reassignment surgery and they're calling yeah. it sterilization, you know? Yeah. Which is just really fascinating. But yes, I do agree with you that that um that's you know cert- Genital surgeries shouldn't be required for to to change legal documentation. Um, I was just incredibly fascinated by the language they chose to use repeatedly: sterilization, castration, using these very, you know, negatively charged words um, that they would avoid in every other circumstance, um, but but again, employing them in this context to refer to uh, sex
2: reassignment surgery. Very okay. So then, I I'm going to ask you. Sorry, I'm going to do this again. So I'm going to ask you. So. Some states do require you have to have had some sort of surgical transition in order to change your birth certificate. Name changes are way easier in most states. Gender markers are way easier in most states. But most, so many states still require some form of surgical procedure. So if we're changing sex on a birth certificate, should
0: there have been some well my stance is that we should never be changing the sex on a birth certificate because that, that to me is just a blatant fabrication you know you know you you, you were born and obviously I'm of the stance that you cannot change your sex so not just that i was born female i am female but like but to uh, i i don't believe that we should be changing any birth certificates regardless and it's kind of ironic to be like so at this you know 27 years into my life, I had such and such a surgery. So now I'm able to go back and alter this historic record that was, you know, it's not like I had had the surgery. Pro- it's just it's just kind of funny to me to think about having a procedure and then rewriting a document that documented your birth. Um,
2: so, So from my experience in the Gender Center, this was of huge importance to parents. I would explain to parents over and over again hey, you don't need to hire an attorney, you can change your child's name, and you can change their gender marker on their state ID and their passport. And parents would routinely hire an attorney, and then the attorney would be fighting for us as the medical providers to sign a document that was a lie that said that there has been some kind of surgical procedure done. Parents were adamant they wanted these birth certificates changed. They wanted it to be, they wanted zero record of their child's sex, their natal sex.
0: That is fascinating to me. Did, did, did you ever get a, a kind of an impression as to why they were so? Because to me, it seems like a lot of the, um, <laughs> a lot of the in vogue of having a trans child is that they are trans, you know? It's like, it, it's um, a, a badge of of the right values, right? And if you've changed every bit of documentation, it, you know, you don't have the, the 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 trans card anymore. Like, what what did they, what was the reasoning?
2: So I actually think, a lot of the parents who are activists see that as a badge. There are there were a number of parents who wanted it to be completely. Um, they wanted it to become a completely stealth. Never, we're not dealing with this. You are just. We we have completely changed everything. Your documents are changed. It's all gone and. That was a, so the kids who were blocked at puberty and gone right on to cross-sex hormones, there were conversations in the center about this whole kind of group of kids who um were going to be completely stealth in so many ways. And then they potentially were never even going to have this, this trans identity they didn't want to have They a lot of these kids didn't want to have anything to do with trans groups and hanging out with other trans kids and they just were just completely um stealth and that's that is where I think some of those parents are the ones they get so concerned when we do talk about things like maybe your birth certificate shouldn't change um because they were they were having attorneys pressure us to claim that because a child had a puberty blocker implanted in their arm, they've undergone surgery and therefore should be surgically allowed to, like, mm-hmm. to change their birth certificates.
1: Do you think it's similar in concept to like same-sex parents, for example, put both of the names on a on a birth certificate? I'm I'm listed as a parent on my daughter's birth certificate, even though I'm in no way genetically. Related to her, um, so there is precedent for the you know in a way that the well not even in a way in literal falsification of a birth certificate for a variety of reasons. Um, and I'm considered the adoptive parent of my daughter, but I'm still on her birth certificate. And that, but it's a similar sort of nullification, right? It's it's like I don't want my child to ever know that I was never, that that there was a time where I wasn't a parent or...
2: Yeah. When you adopt a child out of foster care, their birth certificates have their birth parents' names completely erased and the adoptive parents are placed on the certificate.
1: So it's a similar concept, right, of, of erasing history, thinking that that history is going to be somehow harmful to the child. I, I think is, is that the premise in both cases?
2: I think adoption has its own strange history that there was a lot of secrecy around it. But I mean, then, it, I mean, but then for a lot of these trans kids, there is a level of secrecy involved. That, that is what I would feel like a family would be a struggle is that kind of complete secrecy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's couples that in revisionist history constantly. Sure. There, I mean, there are couples that have children with artificial insemination, and the donor isn't put on the birth certificate, right? I mean, they, if there's two parents involved that conceived that child, those parents would be put on the birth certificate, even though it's it's genetically speaking, it's it's a falsehood. But that's on the. I think that's on the on the premise of secrecy too, right? That you, they don't necessarily tell the children. In some cases, they may never tell the children that they were conceived with artificial insemination.
2: Well, the birth certificate is outlying, it's, out, it's, it's the document that also declares who has the right and responsibility to yeah. this human being. And so I, I can understand if that's the way, so if you're looking at the document as, this is the historical record I have heard that there are some states that if you go to change the sex and a birth certificate, they actually just strike a line through it and then they write the alternative on it so that they're seeing it as a historical record. They've made a correction to it, but the historical record stays the same. So as a parent who's going to eventually be an adoptive parent, I would be perfectly fine with we have a document that historically documents the birth parents' Strikes a line through and puts in the adoptive parents' names because then yeah. it's acknowledging the history, but also then acknowledging the current rights and responsibilities. I just don't know for humans, your sex at birth, it does just carry a lifetime of response it, it it has a lifetime of 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 bag to it I mean is there it's, med- it's always going that?
0: to be medically relevant yeah is that what you mean yeah, like it's, yeah. It's, it's never not going to be relevant um no matter what kind of alterations you do your actual sex is always going to be mostly you know the more relevant um so yeah but I, I do like your 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 solution there just yeah keeping the historical record but updating it to reflect you know kind of lived reality of the situation that Um, are that that
1: are split into two completely separate documents that there's a birth certificate which is just your genetic record and then there's maybe a a certificate completely separate certificate about parenthood and who's responsible legally for the for parenting the child that could be a solution too
0: yeah well apparently a lot of european countries do have it that way where it's like the the, the, yeah the document of of the biology and then the document of parental guardianship um being
1: two
2: Ooh, I separate like
0: documents
1: yeah I, I think that makes more sense in. personally
2: yeah I think so too okay we've solved the problem for the world
1: <laughs> my Let's case my custody everybody. case was very weird um I'll, I'll just kind of tell you this sort of off the record is so my so I was in a long-term relationship with a lesbian we decided to have a child with a known donor a gay man and we we had him we had a contract drafted that he would have absolutely no parental responsibility at all whatsoever but he agreed to provide us with his genetic information so so that was all fine and we conceived and then we went to a lawyer to 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 deal with the getting me on the on the adoption papers or on the birth certificate or whatever and the and the lawyer said that There's no standard way of doing it. It really depended on there's all the judges had a different preference for how that process happens. So she warned us ahead of time saying this could be a very frustrating process because I'll prepare the documents according to how some judges like it done, but we could submit it and depending on which judges desk it happens to land on that day. They could decide, no, I want this done completely differently. They could send it back to us. We could revise it according to how that judge wants it, send it back. But it might end up on a different judge's desk who might have a completely different way of, of doing it. So th- what we ended up having to do, because that did happen to us several times, so what we ended up having to do was that we both had to be stripped of all of our parental Rights. So the birth mother was stripped of parental of her of her. It was all instantaneous. So it's not like that time period. Yeah. But it it, so she she was stripped of her parental authority, and then we both were registered as adoptive parents. Isn't that strange?
2: Yeah. But was this pre? So was this pre-legalized same-sex marriage in Canada?
1: Nope. Oh no. Nope. And it, we a time period of time had to lapse, even though we had a contract with the donor. Um, he had, I think it was six, I can't remember, if it was three months or six months. He had a period of time in which he could change his mind after our daughter was born.
0: What the hell?
1: And so he could have, you know, three months later said, you know what? I think I now that I've met her, I do want to be a dad. And he could have completely ripped up our contract, and he would have had to been listed as the father on the birth certificate, and I would have had absolutely zero legal grounds to be a parent.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's insane.
1: So it was huh. quite a, quite an ordeal.
2: You know, to me that brings up so many interesting thoughts, though on some level, I do think, uh, you know, Glad and HRC and some of these other groups, you know, we won marriage and then they acted like it was all, all figured out and we had nothing more to fight for. And then they just jumped on transitioning, medically transitioning children. When you think about it, all of these states, how many states in, you know, the United States probably still have you know, mom, dad on these forms instead of parent one, parent two. How many hospital forms still have, you know, mom, dad instead of parent one, parent two? I mean, there's so many areas where even, you know, lesbian or gay marriages are, and parenthood is still not valued in the same way or upheld legally in the same ways. And and I just wish we could have, I don't know sometimes I wish we could have just gone slower into making sure that some of these protections were really well thought out and really you know slowly done because we could have maybe maybe then we could have said we should have birth certificates and then guardianship certificates yeah and we could have we could have had some of these things clarified by now yeah and instead it's 2023 and we're worrying how many states have an x on their forms instead of recognizing Parenting for for lesbian and gay people.
1: Yeah, and then you yeah, add transition into all of that. I mean, I didn't think I would ever be in a position of defending, you know, dad rights, but I definitely saw an immediate loss of any parental authority by transitioning to male. The whole system is yeah. really designed around prioritizing the mother in all cases across the board, and. Dads are really a secondary parent legally, uh, so I wasn't anticipating that by transitioning. I, my, I was still, I hadn't transitioned yet when my daughter was born. But so it was just that. I think one of the values of trans people in society is that we get, we experience firsthand how these things play out differently between the sexes. And I wasn't anticipating being stripped of so much of my parental authority just because I'm taking testosterone.
0: Well, it was was it, are you referring to when you and your daughter's mother got divorced or yeah like, what, i mean all
1: mean? all as all aspects of that i mean it it's you know sitting there trying to hammer out a custody agreement, and the lawyer really wasn't interested in what I had to say, and it was just so easy for my ex to to you know paint me to be like a like a deadbeat dad, which was never the case. But the lawyer was just so primed to think of it that way, that you're the man, therefore you're not really, you're just here to provide financial support to the mother. That's that's really your role as a parent. And it, that was just very obvious to me in the conversation, even though the things I was arguing were things like, you know, my my ex has she's a bit excessive in terms of the things she was signing the kids up for. So, I mean, she would pick all of the most expensive activities in the city and sign our, our kid up for all of them all at once. And it's like, you know, I have no say in how our money's being spent here or how many activities she's involved in. I just get a bill at the end of it all. And the lawyer was treating me like, you're just a deadbeat dad. It doesn't want your kids to have any responses, you know, any experiences. It's like, no, I just don't want to go bankrupt because <laughs> my kid is being driven across sit the city to go to the most expensive swimming pool for swimming lessons because the pool is one degree warmer than the rest of the pools.
2: <laughs> okay, I I might have been that mom. When I only had kids. And now I have five kids and I'm like, the pool is open for free, just go learn how to swim on your own. i'm I'm kind of joking i'm kind of
0: joking hold on to this balloon until you get the hang of it
2: (laughs) (laughs) i do this kind of makes me circle back to this document though how many how many parents were actually a part of this document
0: Good that's question. a that's a good question because it's it's written the 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 actual LGBT organization behind this is a youth organization. Yeah. So I think very few of them are actual um actual parents. Um yeah. Yeah.
2: sure keep- code is very hard.
1: It is hard. Did you notice in the one section so they were talking about um like the the whole document it, it really is is a manifesto of how do we get kids to be able to just self-ID and have no, you know, age limit or no minimum age to do that. But so there, but there was an acknowledgement. I don't remember exactly which section, but an acknowledgement that kids' identities and gender are more likely to be fluid. And so their rationale, rather than say, you know, we should be more cautious because of that, their recommendation was that we should make it even easier for children to change their sex marker and their legal name than adults because they're more likely to change their mind.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: I thought, how ass backward is that?
0: <laughs> yeah. So so much of it is is taking like what you what you would the common sense interpretation of, of the law that they're citing and then just turning it completely on its head. Um, so like, um, <laughs> again, okay, so, so number six here, right to development of the child. States must protect the physical, mental, moral, social, cultural, spiritual development of children. Right, in the document. For example, state should take action against parents who are obstructing the free development of a young trans person's identity in refusing to give parental authorization when required. It's uh, how do you get that from what's written like the um what was another one here
2: because because what jumps out to me is the word spiritual and so then if who who imparts spiritual direction to a child it's the parents so it's the lgbtq
0: org in their in their local uh, geography Uh... (laughs) sorry (laughs) sorry yeah (laughs) No, you're right. You're right. I
2: mean, we don't need religion anymore. So therefore we yep. do turn. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yep. I, but okay. I'm sorry, Aaron. Whatever you're about to say. Hold on one second. Aaron. Yeah. Okay. Um, this naivety to identity though, that it is so easy to just change over and over and over again. Because there's a reason why we have legal identities. There's a reason why people have these documents. It's because, I mean, we live in a state structure. We live in a commerce that's shared. I carry a credit rating and a score, and there's a history to my identity that that follows me wherever I go. There's a legal history that follows me. Yeah. And you cannot just keep... Like, so in the state of Missouri, if you're going to legally change your name, you have to publish in the newspaper, this tiny little ad that says a person named this is going to legally change their name to that. Yeah. And I have had a lot of parents and kids ask me, well, why the hell do you have to do that? What is this for? And I, I said, like, previous to the internet and credit bureaus, uh, if you owed somebody a whole bunch of money and you were legally changing your name to run away from your debt, Uh, then this was the way that you could be tracked to see if you were doing such. And I'm not saying that, I just, when these systems were in place about like changing your identity, it was still recognizing that your identity is tied to this state-sponsored historical record of your existence. Yeah.
0: And and not just the, the legal... The legal ramifications and financial which are huge but there's also this kind of i'm seeing this with the young people in this whole movement is there's so much of like again like changing your name every few months or whatever and it's just like completely there's no foundation to an individual anymore it seems like it seems like that's the with this this kind of worldview of like you just remake yourself based on whatever you're currently feeling at the time it's like how how i mean destabilizing doesn't even cover it. It's just like, like, there's just, there's just no, no foundation to an individual. And obviously, you know, we've moved away from being, you know, in, in North America, especially we're quite individualistic societies. We don't kind of think of ourselves in structures of families as much as, as, um you know, Eastern and even, even a lot of European uh nations and cultures are much more collectivist than we are. And I think there's a lot of, mental health benefits to, I think the way that we go about this is not Absolutely. right. Right. And, and like there's there's um so kind of defining yourself within a larger community is really within a you know a solid, tangible community is you know really beneficial to somebody's sense of self and well being and just general yeah just general well being. But and so everything about the trans thing is just is just completely turning that on its on its head. And like again, so people are defining themselves away from physical tangible families and communities and their own birth given name their own like um i i don't know it's just like so it's i don't know there's this really kind of lonely nihilistic feel to it all that i can't really put my put my finger on
2: um well and and i feel like a lot of parents who have been speaking out on this talk about how important that decision for the name was for them too and it does have family ties i know mm-hmm. at least in my family a lot of people's middle names are middle names that have been passed down and you know like a great aunt shared your middle name or a grandmother shared your middle name and a lot of our family would look to our past and our history to find those names and those name, names mean things yeah. and there definitely is this this youth culture that is, it's tough because youth are supposed to gain independence. You are supposed to, ooh, whoa, sorry. I just had like a brain explosion. I mean, youth are supposed to gain independence, but right now, uh, youth are not doing a very good job of this. They're historical low rates in getting driver's licenses. They're not like, they're not getting out of the nest at adulthood. They don't even know how to call their doctor's office when they're 18 or you yeah. know, I don't think a lot of teens are really getting a lot of jobs anymore. They're they're very not doing the adulting independence tasks because those things are hard. Those things require you to do the work and yeah. to mm-hmm. struggle and try and probably fail. But there's no real work to just self-proclaiming tomorrow that I'm no longer tied to this family and this is my new name.
1: That's a really good point. Yeah. I hadn't really made that connection either. That, you know, all this emphasis on the rights of the child and their, you know, their agency and their autonomy. And you're right, but how is this actually playing out in society? There's 35 year old kids that still live in their parents' basement.
2: I could not get so many of the kids in the gender center. Nobody was getting a driver's license. Nobody was working on these skills. It it was very upsetting. Cause the other part of it is it's not just getting the independence. You get a driver's license, you get a job, you start doing these steps, but you also physically in reality, go somewhere, like get out of the house and go do things. I think Abigail Schreier, there was some line in her book like, she almost wishes that these teens would go back to like being truant at the mall and smoking a cigarette behind like Hot Topic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> drinking <laughs> and making out yeah. with <laughs> their friends. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, yeah. Yeah, like go do the teenage things. Yeah.
1: That is so different it from is. our generation, isn't it? Like I could not wait to get out of my parents' place at 18. Like as soon as I graduated high school, like I already had a plan of getting out of there and I wanted to launch on my own. And that's, that's how we're I supposed had an apartment,
2: to be. So I graduated before I turned 18 and I already had moved to the town where I was going to college and was getting a lease at 17, almost 18. I mean, I was ready to go. Yeah, And I remember, you know, being in the punk scene and going to shows and like really I mean it was I dangerous and made bad decisions yes but I definitely was not at home on a video game
0: it's this it's this really self-perpetuating like so so a lot of those things that you do in your teenager that are kind of reckless and dangerous it's like a lot of the purpose of them is like the, the you know you obviously learn from the lesson, but it, it builds confidence in yourself and your abilities to kind of have experiences and grow from them and whatnot. And these kids just aren't having any sort of confidence building experiences. They are e- either, you know, their the culture of parenting is very coddly. Um, uh, in a lot of ways it's it's kind of good in some ways and obviously quite detrimental in others but even the ones who don't have really kind of hands-on coddly parents they're just hiding in you know internet space like they're still not like out experiencing life and having real we're getting way off from
1: this well report here. i can let it's me bring right, it back man. let me well let me bring yeah. it back to the report because in the forward section of this they their whole rationale for why they're advocating for the you know the, the supposed human rights of of youth is because they they say you know i think it's the third paragraph down that they're going to commit suicide if they if we don't that they're going to experience discrimination and they're more likely to be suicidal um or self-harm if if we're not allowing them this autonomy, so it I mean it does it does loop back to to what we're saying, right of the coddling of of these young people's minds that you're so fragile that unless we allow you to do whatever you want, you're not going to be able to function in the world and your life won't be worth living
0: but' it's, it's like, whatever, it's, yeah. it's like it, everything's about theory, like even this whole all of this it's about your documents changing it's also about theories of independence and self-determination and not actually physically doing anything or yeah yeah going anywhere
1: i mean research uh, i think research has shown that what because we're so worried about well oh, don't that da- we want to damage these kids self-esteem right there's so much emphasis on self-esteem and feeling good about yourself but self-esteem is not based on getting whatever you want having it easy and being affirmed like self-esteem comes from developing skills and proving to yourself that you can set goals and achieve them. That's where we get our self-esteem from. We actually have, I think, have created a generation of young people who have very little self-esteem.
2: Absolutely. And we've created a generation where everybody wins the medal. And I remember part of what I viewed as you know, like the patriarchy and what pissed me off as a young person was, when I was in elementary school and into high school, I was always on excellent sports teams. Like our teams, the girls' soccer team, basketball, volleyball, we won like city county champs. Like we were so good at what we were doing. And we would bring in these huge trophies. And finally, a teacher said to us, You need to stop bringing these trophies in. You're making the boys all feel bad. And <laughs> to the day, I just want to go. throttle that person and then what it turned into (laughs) instead of like cheering these you know cheering the athletes and the the accomplishment it just became well everybody has to win or else everybody feels you know instead it should have been push the boys to work harder if you want a giant ass trophy go work harder (laughs) like
0: yeah yeah, nobody really conceptualized the downstream effect of having nobody have to like try to earn the recognition that they that they get. Yeah, you know?
1: or except yeah. that you just don't have the genetics to be an athlete. Like that's
2: yeah, <laughs> maybe it's <so's laughs> not your bag. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we can't actually do maybe whatever we want.
2: Could have started. Yeah, maybe those boys could have started a chess team and been like excelled at it, and instead they told us stop bringing trophies in.
0: Or they could have waited to be born fifteen years later and then just joined the girls' team. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, Aaron! Uh, I Sorry. was injured. Was I was going to here. Enough. No, no, no. But I mean, I, I actually that that scares me a little because i was I was a soccer player all the way through high school, and I was injured so many times. I broke so many bones, had multiple concussions. And if I was going up against, you know, natal boys, ah, oh, I can't even imagine. I, I, I don't have to imagine. I would have stopped playing.
1: Right. Or broken more bones trying.
2: Ah, oh, I know. I probably would have. There's something I don't know. We're going into the sports, but there's something about having no chance at all of winning that really just why yeah. why try? Yeah. Right.
0: I want to. They they do. This is kind of wrapping into the into the document as well. This part that I've kind of come across here. I'm on uh, page 17 at this point, but everything has to be. They they literally say um, uh, that uh, relationships should only be altered if favorable. So, so the only times, like, kind of relationship status or anything should be altered uh, in association with a transition. And they get into sports at some point about this. Is if it's Beneficial to the transitioning person. So, again, yeah, relationships should only be altered if favorable. There should be no effects of altering one's legal gender on marriage or succession. In addition, the individual should not be required to ask permission from their spouse. See, I think I think in the U.S. And in North America as well, we, we kind of are, activists are saying these same things, but they're just doing it in real kind of cagey. Um, they, they they are just not. This is entirely brazen. Is uh, just like the the impression I keep coming back to. It's just well well just out there, um. Uh, nothing hidden. Although actually, no. We'll get into it. They actually call for for to to actually uh, hide all these all these uh, measures as a strategic um, move. Yeah, sneak them in. Sneak them in. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Tag yeah. them yeah. on to other legislative things. Um, yep. One one thing I wrote down after reading it too is they specifically said be wary of compromise. They're yes! supposed yeah. to compromise. And oh. I was I was really that
0: was like a, a like sort of a headline. And there was only a small paragraph. They don't really go into detail or offer any. No, I thought that was going to be yeah that yeah just that that line in particular was really uh, kind of alarming. But yeah, I'm kind of uh, disappointed that they didn't uh, kind of spell that out further. Um. Uh, yeah, and we'll link to this whole document in the show notes, yeah. um, so that yeah, people can follow along with what we're uh, what we're saying here.
1: I mean, on the surface of that, there's aspects of that that make sense to me. So, let's say heterosexual couple, the man decides to transition to female, and if they lived in a country where same-sex marriage was illegal, they might be forced to get a divorce or or an annulment of of that so i mean there's aspects of you know why should your relationship or your marriage change if you if you both still want to be in the relationship post transition that should be legally allowed so i mean i i kind of agree with aspects of that in part but there's but it yeah there's there's weirdness about it too
0: yeah cuz i'm is is the document cuz it's still do the marriage certificate still have like husband, wife, or sp- like how is that, that? You know, because in a lot of cases, the, the transitioning person would have to get the marriage certificate altered to be like a wife and wife, right? Yeah. And if their
2: actual wife yes. is not, so, yeah, again, again, you're pointing out the shit that Glad and HRC could have actually like been making sure was universal protection. Shouldn't it be, should it say spouse? Spouse and spouse, spouse, yeah. One and spouse two. I mean, <laughs> Yeah.
0: A... <sighs> yeah. Kind of pragmatic yeah. measures that don't they don't make good
2: uh uh, uh fundraising efforts. Yeah. Hey, we yeah, want to make yeah. it say spouse and spouse. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Give us a million dollars. Like <no. laughs> We want to update
0: this certificate to be these two certificates because it'll work better. <laughs> it's just not as sexy as a cliche, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Uh, There's an another- oh oh.
1: What were you going to say, Aaron? I was just going to say, just completely on another tangent, but there was another thing that interested me about this document. They were talking about one of the successes. So they were talking about this in terms of strategy. One of the successes that they noticed in some of these countries was capitalizing on past human rights failures, that they could capitalize on the shame. So let's say the UN called out a country and said you know, you're too late to the game to legalize same-sex marriage, for example. So really, sh- there's an element of shame in some of these countries that you've you've missed the mark on, on certain human rights vi- uh, violations. And so there, it's mentioned a couple of times in this document that that is actually a strategy that can be capitalized upon, that if, if a country feels any shame about anything historically that they've done wrong in terms of human rights, that that's the time to really push for these, these trans agendas. I thought that was interesting, kind of manipulative. Um, it
0: was that... But was we see that, that in Ireland?
1: practice. We see that... I can't remember what country they said that was about, but I mean, we definitely see that in practice here in Canada, probably you know, down in the States too, that I think a lot of the traction that trans activism has achieved is because... Of the failures of the past to be more inclusive of gay gay and lesbians. I think that shame and that that regret, especially on the left, uh, that we, you know, that we got things wrong in terms of gay and lesbian liberation, that people are kind of primed to not want to repeat a wrong and seem to be accepting of, of transactivism that is nonsensical because they're just kind of primed to want to do right and not repeat past failures
0: yeah it's just another element of the 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 incredible success it's been to tie the whole trans to the gay thing um is just because yeah people just see it as an extension and they don't you know it's like we don't we don't want to be homophobes again so we won't be transphobes this time exactly and
1: and just, so there's yeah. there's a lot of forced teaming in this movement, right? I mean, there's forced teaming with intersex, there's forced teaming with gay and lesbian. and now that the I've had I feel like most of my time on Twitter is almost like translation of certain concepts because people have been very confused, for example, about um certain statements tying trans rights to reproductive rights. It's like, well, why would why would so I think it was Chase Strange who released a statement about how um, the LGBTQ plus community is disproportionately affected by reproductive rights.
0: Right. Right. From abortion, from abortion bans. Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: yes. Yeah, so, I mean, all these, all these, <laughs> all these gay men don't have access to abortions now. So it's, you know, so, right. so it's, but I think, and, so I've had, had to and do And all
2: of the lesbians exactly. are real concerned about it.
1: Exactly. So, so these very nonsensical statements, right? It's like, well, where is your leap of logic to compare, you know, to draw a parallel to the LGBT and reproductive rights? But the, the reason why they've done that is because they want to frame this as bodily autonomy in similar ways. So they're saying it's a way for them to be able to justify medical interventions without a diagnosis. By framing it as well as mm. just, it's just like abortion. There's no illness in terms of uh, abortion. Foul, no,
2: I mean, yeah. but there is a diagnosis. You actually, you actually a- are
1: pregnant or not? Exactly, but that's what they're. <laughs> I mean,
2: you, that,
1: that's is, what they're trying is, to do, a, though, right?
2: There's an actual blood test here. Exactly. You have eight, yeah,
1: there is a material reality in one, not the yeah. other. But that's what they're yeah. attempting to do, right? Is force team this. Because they want to do away that then this was mentioned in the document too, that there's a country where it's actually illegal. Was it I can't remember which country it was. It's actually illegal to give someone a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Did you catch that?
2: No.
0: I can't
1: remember uh-huh. which, I can't remember which country I remember I highlighted it, but I, you know I won't waste your time by trying to find it now. But there is a doc I think it was Malta.
2: Probably that, Malta.
1: That seemed to be sort of their gold standard, right? Throughout this document, they're doing everything right. So they said it's actually illegal to give someone a diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Um, Then
2: what is the reason the health insurance covers transition?
1: That's why they're trying to maneuver the, the parallel with reproductive rights. So they want to do away with the idea that there's any illness here. There's no diagnosis. There's no illness. But they still want to be able to justify medical interventions so they're saying well it's just like abortion you're not ill but you still have access to medical interventions on the basis of bodily autonomy so that's what i I see
2: and i sure as hell felt ill
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i want to go through um uh so I think the kind of the most the meat of this is the recommendations uh, that they give. They list out, and I think it might be a good idea for us just to go through each one of those at the very least, um, and kind of kind of give our thoughts on those. I think there's ten of them, eleven. Um, hopefully, it won't take take us too much time, but um, they they really spell out. They just lay the, lay the cards, you know, all out. <clears throat> so, good practices for NGO advocacy. Number one target youth politicians. Uh, activists found it particularly helpful to get youth wings, political parties on side as main wings of political parties are often keen to listen and take views of their younger uh, counterparts seriously. In some cases, yeah, activists well, found... uh uh-huh? No, <laughs> we don't have
2: that. Well, we don't have that problem in the U.S. because all of our senators are like 90. It's so true.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is one of those so, that won't translate, uh, no, translate that over here
2: well translate over here. Yeah. Um, But they say uh,
0: in some cases activists found it useful to make the point that youth politicians are the senior politicians of the future and any changes (laughs) that they are in favor of will inevitably inevitably be the policies of the future and are more likely to be on the right side of history. Literally in (laughs) quotes in there. Uh, well we see that basically saying that like what the kids believe now they're always believe right and so what what the what the youth today believe is what everybody you know 30 years from now uh will believe because you know people don't change their minds as they mature no they just carry the same ideas from 16 to the grave um
1: there's there's something so there's something so gross about the you know a bunch of adults sitting around saying well our strategy is going to be to convince the kids, right? That that, that we're right. Yep. Like we're gonna shape the minds of these kids so that this future generation will will but we so we see that playing out it was here. really
0: successful it, for Hitler.
1: It's just, yeah. So we see that playing out here in Canada and it's it's really puzzling. So there's an organization in Canada um that is developed this program in BC and Alberta called the SOGI123 and it's it's confusing what it is. So, it, and we don't know where this where this organization has come from. I think they're called, I can't remember if it's Arc or Arcus Foundation. So it's this company of businessmen, and their only project is Soji One Two Three, and they say well, it's not a curriculum. So it's really unclear. Well, what are you, exactly are you doing then? Because they've implemented this program called Soji One Two Three into our public education system as early as like, you know kindergarten, all the way through to grade twelve, to introduce certain concepts about gender and sexuality to children in the public school system. But they say, but it's not. We don't have a curriculum, so there's nothing on their website that shows what's being taught. There seems to be a lot of room for for teachers to decide how that gets taught. But all these concepts like, you know, the gender spectrum and there's my, my my kids came home from school and said, oh, you know, mom, I was taught, uh, you know, that there's like 78 genders and there's a gender spectrum. And I mean, my kids fortunately thought it was stupid, but this is what's being taught in our public education system. So I think it's part of this strategy kind of related to the Denton report of we're going to be successful if we sway the kids, because now we're going to raise a generation of kids that believe these concepts and are more likely to accept trans people in the future.
0: Well, I mean, I was making a, making a kind of a dark joke, but that's, it's always been successful, you know, uh, political movements, ideological movements, you know, it's always, you know, target the youth. Like I was serious, like the Hitler youth were instrumental in, you know, the the success and the support of the third reich and um it's kind of i mean you know that's why youth groups are so popular right in in, in religions and whatnot is because yeah. you know you mm-hmm. if you convince the young yeah. of an ideology you know they're young people are much easier to convince and to recruit than adults are who are going to be more skeptical and yeah
1: whatnot. I mean, yeah i mean just just Reminded me when you what you said about you know church youth groups. <clears throat> I was speaking to um, you know my church in in Vancouver has reached out to me saying we're in a bit of a crisis as a community. What do we do? And they've always been very inclusive of the LGBT and really looking for ways to do that better. Um, but they're very puzzled by some of what they're seeing. Happening with the youth, they said well, a large percentage of their youth group is identifying as something other than cisgender, using a lot of they them pronouns. It's just it's, and they're confused by it. It's like what is happening to our youth that there's this major shift in how they're identifying, and so they they don't know they don't know how to respond. Sort of an aside, but just. I mean, we've we've heard similar things like Gender Dysphoria Alliance. We get people reaching out to us all the time with little bits of data like that and they don't know what to do. We've had reporters reach out to us saying, I've done the research and discovered that this young person jumped off a skyscraper because they regretted their transition, but I'm not allowed to report on it and I'm devastated and I just wanted to talk to somebody about it, right? Or we get teachers reaching out to us saying, of my classroom identifies as something other than cisgender. What's going on? What do I do about this? Because my school board and my principal or the superintendents, they're not supporting me. And as soon as I say anything to question this, I'm immediately called a bigot and a transphobe. So people are distressed because they're concerned about what they see happening with youth and they don't know who to turn to. They don't know who's going to believe them. So they, they come to us. I mean, we don't know what to do with that information either, but
0: that's yeah, saying you were
1: not alone. Why... Is...
2: Yeah, oh, go so, on. but that's also part of why I think there have been legislative bills pushed forward. I, every time somebody says that it's like a big right wing conspiracy, I I think about the fact that so many of those parents that I know and so many of those families, they do write a letter to their legislative body and say, help me with this, help me figure out what's going on at the school, help. I mean, those some, a lot of people do reach out through those channels. And I think in part why you see some of these bills is an actual response to the populace. Yeah.
1: Because what we have here is a document that's very clearly stating that their priority is to change the minds of a generation of youth. So no wonder we're seeing, you know, so we can't really be surprised then that we're seeing this whole generation of youth make a shift into these nonsensical queer theory based, activist based ideas. Uh, That's very much a part of the strategy of the movement is, is let's target the kids and change their minds.
0: I think most I think most of it is is peer influence though it's just it's it's th- yeah there there's certain things that are that are definitely facilitating and enabling the culture absolutely um and yeah legitimizing it um but I think most of the spread is just normal normal youth you know peer <laughs> contagion yeah. it's just yeah. it, it's just the normal natural process of kids influencing each other and wanting to be cool and you know what what not and then but then there's just some very nefarious players who are um taking taking uh uh, full advantage of that
1: i mean how Um, do we know though like i mean so tumblr for example has been cited as a place where a lot of these ideas about you know cake genders and frog genders taking root and now these now these kids that have taken queer theory to that extreme are now young adults in positions of going to medical school or becoming politicians and but how do we know that some of these these concepts weren't planted in in social media platforms for for kids
2: i hope oh, uh so who did, who some did with the, the research who did the plant thing?
1: well that's one of the things that i think we hope to discover through so we've got a research project happening here in canada where we're using the same artificial intelligence technology that the government uses oh to track public opinion on social media sites because they don't do polling anymore. They, They track based on just conversations or clicks or likes and stuff on social media is how the government now determines what is the public opinion. And we're seeing a huge shift, for example, in public opinion on trans stuff and social media. But we're trying to utilize that same artificial intelligence technology to try to trace Where do these ideas originate, and how are they spreading throughout the youth population? And we're collecting some pretty fascinating data. And um, we've—I don't. There's not a lot I can say about it right now, but I can. I think I can say we've managed to trace the influence to only a handful of individuals, mostly in the United States, who are who are really having a lot of influence on the public conversation so it's it's really fascinating data and i i look forward to you know once that data is um you know made made public and and turned into studies that we can publish but it's it's fascinating to see you know like two or three individuals on twitter are dominating the conversation and controlling what people think
0: but that's now i mean, i think we're getting into this could be a whole podcast uh, and i think it should be um but I think, you know, the, the, the culture started brewing around 2011, 12, 13, really. And I think a lot of the people who are kind of like your big influencers now either transitioned post that the kickoff are kind yeah. of a lot of the people in in positions of power now were, yeah, were, were, were eggs, as they say. Yeah um you know in the early
1: 2010s which is why we're going back in time so we're we because i mean that it's been fairly well documented when that spike in teenage girls started showing up to clinics was around 2015 right so we Mm -hmm. so we're going back to about 2014 and tracing all that online activity back in time Mm -hmm. and and tracing it
0: all right do anybody want to go uh highlight any major point we haven't got to uh, in this document here
1: we started talking about the recommendations and we got to number 1 <laughs> Do you want to... <laughs> yeah yeah but Jamie's wanna...
0: got a Jamie's got a wrap I got to go so in yeah. a minute
1: okay <laughs>
0: um i think i think the um uh, uh where did it go uh uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they they like we're getting at one of the one of the f- really fun ones here was tie your campaign to more popular reform in Ireland, Denmark and Norway changes to the law on legal gender recognition were put through at the same time as other more popular reforms, such as marriage equality legislation, which Ireland was late to the party on. And so I think I think the activists were able to capitalize on that, like you're kind of alluding to, Aaron. Um, uh, they say, this provided a veil of protection, particularly in Ireland, where marriage equality was strongly supported, but gender identity remained more difficult issue to win public support on. So they're being very transparent about the lack of transparency they're they're recommending. Um, uh, also in that line, avoid excessive press coverage and exposure. Like in the UK, they're giving an example of a bad way to do it, um, uh, legal Gender recognition reforms have been misinterpreted in the mainstream media, and opposition has arisen as a result. Most of most of what they're basically arguing for is control the narrative. Have very yeah. you know, that yeah. have have an iron grip on the narrative and just give little bits, hide what you can where you can. Otherwise, just give a really spun narrative that's gonna be uh useful. Yeah. Um, which is
1: interesting. And, you know, it and, was Thompson Reuters that is one of the contributors to this whole document, right? I mean, a major media and news outlet is is sponsoring this project and saying we need to control the narrative through the media
2: well and they also highlight again don't really talk about the medicalization because if you mm-hmm. actually really start shining a light on it and <laughs> explain what's actually going on people actually don't really like it so. yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i think that's why they're also advocating for like the the laws around gender recognition being changed without uh the need for medical uh, interventions because again then you don't have to you can just focus on oh it's it's not it's just it's just documentation you know we're not altering these yeah. children's bodies sort of yeah. thing
2: all right
1: well great conversation i appreciate yeah. your insights
2: i appreciate the both of you it's nice to be back
0: It's always good talking to you.
2: Yeah, me too. Take care,
0: guys. Enjoy the weekend. Bye.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.